Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we're back for another installment of The Stacks Book Club. We're going to be discussing The New Wilderness by Diane Cook, and our guest is Van Newkirk, a senior editor at The Atlantic and the host of the Floodlines podcast. Our conversation delves into the world of climate disasters through the story of the new wilderness, and we've got plenty of spoilers today. So please read the book before you listen. Be sure to listen until the very end of this episode because I will also be announcing our book club pick for March. If you love this podcast and being able to discuss books you read with other book lovers and generally believe in supporting the work of artists you appreciate, consider joining the Stacks Pack on Patreon. That's a website that allows you to make monthly contributions in exchange for perks, things like our virtual book club, discounts on merch, and shout outs on this show. If this sounds like you, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join. This week's shout outs go to some of our newest members, Alex Bromley, Kanisha Lucille, Erica, Jess Krieger, Megan Bannister, Sarah, Courtney Daly, Jasmine Sepinen, Kayla Latondre, and Kat Duffy. Thank you all so much for your continued support of The Stacks. Okay, now it's time for The Stacks Book Club conversation of The New Wilderness by Diane Cook with our incredible guest, Van Newkirk. All right, everybody. Very excited. We are back with Van Newkirk, a journalist, podcaster, all-around cool dude. And we're it's The Stacks Book Club day, so we're talking about... The New Wilderness by Diane Cook. And before I say anything else, there will be spoilers on this episode. So if you have not finished the book, pause, go read it, come back. I don't want to be in trouble for ruining anything for any of you. And now, Van, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So we always basically start here with the book club episodes, which is like just generally overall, what did you think of the book? I I mean, I, I thought it was a like really fascinating way to talk about some of the anxieties we have about the environment and also about motherhood and parenthood. But some of the takeaways in the ending were a little bit confused for me. And so that's why, I I mean, we'll talk about them eventually, but I thought the overall setup and framing and writing was beautiful. I'm just trying to figure out where exactly 
what happened in the end. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm very much with you. I think for me, overall, I was pleasantly surprised by this book. I don't really love fiction. Like, fiction just doesn't always speak to me, and usually I'm, like, over it um, pretty early. But what I appreciated most about this book is I felt like I would never pick up a nonfiction book about like survival tactics and that kind of stuff. But I felt like I learned a lot of that in this book and was very interested by a lot of that stuff. I had issues with some of the pacing and like how, where she focused her energy sometimes. Like I sometimes was over B and Agnes and was much more interested in the kind of group dynamic and what was going on with like the power struggle. Um, but I really liked her writing style. I thought it was great how she could use just like a sentence and describe the whole environment instead of talking about each leaf or grain of sand or whatever, which would have driven me absolutely crazy. Um, so those are kind of like my general, general thoughts about the book. Um, you do work in climate justice, environmental justice type stuff. And you, you said that this book was on kind of like one of the books you were planning to read next, which is why we picked it because I was sort of intrigued by it too. I'd seen really good reviews about it. I'm curious how you approach something like this with your background in climate justice, like how you're looking at it, what you're thinking about, if at all related to your kind of professional life. Um. So one, I think, interesting thing about me and how I approach uh, these kind of stories, especially, is that I'm kind of over the big apocalypse okay. as a framework <laughs> for understanding at least climate change, because uh, it's not how it will happen right. on Earth. Right. Um, that's not how people are currently experiencing it. You know, the idea of some major cataclysm and people. Like, number one, you know, I'm I'm not super concerned about capital H humanity and whether mm -hmm. it survives or not to be honest <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned about communities and whether they survive mm -hmm. and something happening now that's not even on the news could mean the end of a community and that's important to me you know i don't i, I don't know if i'm super worried about like the species surviving because right. if, if if i die my family die i don't really care about <laughs> everybody else i mean true um yeah but like the that framework, the big disaster has been how we talk about mm -hmm. climate and fiction often, and that's been the allegory. Um, and so what was kind of refreshing about the new wilderness is it was a couple steps away from like the most dramatic use of the big disaster. Yeah. Um, and the things that were happening that were driving people out of the city uh, it was kind of smart to me because they were talking about all these really, you know, this cascade of smaller events yeah. that were that were slowly eroding a normal way of life. People were doing their best to adapt to it. Uh, but you could see like the, the, the really useful thing for me was how it showed how really mundane things can break down society. So the detail I always remember is at one point, uh, when they're talking about new people moving out to the wilderness, they're like, we ran out of sand for concrete. Mm. And nobody thinks about this, right. but yes, there is a global uh, looming sand shortage for building materials. I didn't all know the that sand was real. We, all the sand we use comes from like, for that type of stuff. You can't take it from beaches and deserts. Uh, the most useful sand for 
building has to be eroded by water. Mm. And so it all comes from like river deltas. Oh, wow. And we have dug up so much of the useful building sand in the world. Wow. And so stuff like that, like really small, you know, uh, to me, the, the, you know, one really good thing about the book was that Diane Cook is just into the weeds on yes. lots of future bad things in the world. She was into the weeds on a lot of stuff. Like yeah. the detail of like the sinew that they were using and stuff. I was like, yo, I would never read about this if it was not per- like, it's like when you take your medicine, like a spoonful of sugar, like with the medicine, right? It's like, I would never know some of these details if it weren't for it being packaged kind of in this like literary fiction. But she went in on like the survival techniques and like all the little details. You could tell she geeked out on research for sure. Yeah, but it's not like I'm going to teach you about, you know, right. survival. It's right. it's really it is just presented as a matter of fact, as a matter of survival. And that's how it comes to the people in the first place. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, uh, you know, it's not like, it, it never comes across, like I read a whole lot of stuff about how to survive. Right. And I'm going to pack it in this book. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I liked about it. Yeah. I was like, let me just, let me just present you with the, with the information, but I, there's no way you, I would even watch like a documentary about this. Like it was, it was a great side effect of the book and I'm glad I learned this stuff, but like I, it's something that if it wasn't presented this way, I would quickly move, move away from it. But then again, I also feel like if I was in this situation, I would have been dead um, quickly. Like I would have been one of the first people to go. I just, I don't know. I don't think I could hang. Do you think you could hang? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Everybody, I, I like to think that I could hang and, <laughs> you know, I like to think that, growing up where I grew up and, you know, actually uh, having killed animals before um, will do me good. But honestly, I figure if this ever happens, it'll be so chaotic that skills and and all that experience doesn't really matter. Um, You know, there's moments in the, in the book where people just die and that's how it is. People just die. Right. I would definitely just die. I just like, I, yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that they were talking about, I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd have to be near someone who was a real survival survivalist. Like, I would have to be paired with someone from Naked and Afraid or something because <laughs> I would truly be like, where is the Ritz-Carlton? I need to go. <laughs> oh, see, yeah, I couldn't do Naked and Afraid. I mean, that's just a, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a bad setup. Yeah, no. That's I, a bad setup. Like, there are certain reality shows that I'm like, I can't even watch because I, this is my nightmare. Like, Survivor is pretty close to me for that. Like, I'm like, I don't even want to see you eating bugs. Like, I, no, it's a no for me. <laughs> I like my reality television, like The Bachelor. I want a mansion. I want beautiful gowns. <laughs> <laughs> like, Aretha yeah, I, Franklin. I like comfort. Yes, Comfort's exactly. Great. Exactly. Yeah, so I think, great. yeah, I would be out so quick in the new wilderness. I would, I think I would have had to find a way to like become a ranger or something because I could not hang in the like originalist group. Oh, yeah. They, uh, I mean, things are really rough for them. They talk about, you know, they look at all the newcomers at one point and they're like, you have all your fingers and toes. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And I'd like to keep all of them. Thank you very much. Um, okay. So one of the things like I I feel like one of the big parts of the book 
was the mother-daughter relationship and like be an Agnes. And for me, I was interested in that. But for whatever reason, like I just, I don't know. I was le- I just didn't think that that was nearly as like impressive to me as the stuff that was going on with the survival. I'm curious how you felt about those those parts. I was reading the book in search of a resolution mm. to that dynamic. Yeah. And uh, there is no resolution to that, that that dynamic. And that's probably the point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but coming to the end, I was definitely disappointed that there was no no resolution. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that that's it. Um, it was, it, you know, I, I think it, it is deliberately messy and deliberately complicated view of maternal relationships, mm-hmm. of just, you know, what the duty of a parent to a child is anyways. Right. Um, and this is something, you know, I, I hate uh, doing too much to uh, find hidden meanings in stories. You know, I, yeah. I think a lot, I think we'd be better off in most cases by just reading what's in front of us. But yeah. I do think some of this was about the relationship between like humans and the earth. Yes. And so that I thought the relationship between Agnes and B was kind of like, doing double duty to show the relationship between people and mother earth right in some way and so in that case it felt a little at least even if it's not the intent of the author giving that meaning to it made it feel a little bit more uh made me feel a little bit more comfortable with the ambiguity yeah so then what do you think she's saying with what do you think she's saying about our human relationship to the earth when you think of it in terms of B and Agnes, B being the earth and Agnes being the humans? Well, I think it's, you know, love is not necessarily uh, a uncomplicated thing and it coexists with, uh, you know, passing harm and hurt back and forth. Uh, and even if, you know, Mother Earth loves humans or should love humans, the fact of the matter is that humans and our children are demanding and can be awful <laughs> sometimes. Right, right. And uh, yeah, people are, you know, um, you can't expect mothers to be uh, saintly all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I... I'm I'm just thinking about it. I didn't really think about it in those terms, like of be like of, with that analogy or whatever. But I do think that like I think that there's this expectation, and you're a parent also that parents have to put their children first. And what does that actually look like when you're in like these really extreme life and death situations versus? theoretically putting your child first you know like theoretically B was doing everything she could to help Agnes however in practice I don't know like it was a little more of a competitive relationship like they were a little more equal than necessarily like mother daughter or parent child and I don't I mean that part is the thing that stuck with me. I think the most about their relationship is like, what's the difference between saying you put your child first versus actually putting your child first act. And, and what does the child think of that? 
you know, like if you asked Agnes, does B put you first? She'd probably be like, no. Like, what? Yeah. She'd be like, that woman does not even like me, you know? And if you ask B, she'd be like, I do everything I've ever done is for Agnes, you know? And so it's interesting. And then, of course, like the part where she runs out on on them when B leaves, like that puts a really crazy wrench in that idea because then she goes from being a mother to being a child, right? Like that, right. you remember that like all parents are also someone else's child. And so, I don't know, that moment was really great to me. Like that, I did not really see that coming. And that whole scene, like where they go to the camp and they like destroy everything and they're like eating out of the vending machine. And I'm just thinking like, oh my God, you're all going to have such bad diarrhea because you are eating like processed sugar right now. And then she gets in the truck and like that whole moment was really, I thought, one of the best, one of my favorite like sections in the book. Um, yeah, yeah, it was the one where I felt like the chaos yes. just made the most. It was the the, the best chaos. Yeah, it yeah, came it, together it in such sense. a good way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I would always remember. I think of if I remember anything from this book, you know, in years, it'll be the scene where right after that, Agnes's father feeds her roadkill that the truck ran over. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just so <laughs> okay, disgusting. Yep, just yeah yeah not it's carl not agnes's father carl carl oh my gosh carl i feel like we like i have so many things i want to talk about when it comes to carl okay let's just go i guess get into carl first of all okay wait before we get into carl i want to get into the names really quickly did you happen to notice that all of the like women in the first group had three letter names like Val, um, Deb and and B. Yeah, Val, Deb, B. And then all the guys were like it was like Carl, Juan Carl Glenn. and Glenn. And they all had four letter names. And I was like, is this a thing? Like is it but I don't think it ended up being a thing because when the newcomers came they had different names. And I think like, you know, the kids had like weird like pine cone or whatever the fuck. Was it Pinecone? Yeah, Pinecone and um, brother and sister. <laughs> brother and sister. But I was like trying to figure out why they all had three letter names. And like, I don't know if there was a reason, but it definitely was a thing where I was like, what's happening with these names right now? But Carl. Okay. I hate Carl, but I also know exactly who Carl is. And I hate that person too. Like Carl before they all have to go to the wilderness is exactly the guy that everyone hates who definitely was like at the Capitol, like in the insurrection, like, but didn't go inside, but was like standing on the steps, like being like, we did right. it. Like we're here. Right. Like just so horrible. Carl has strong YouTube energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's Carl. <laughs> oh my God. Carl loves explaining things to everyone. And Carl is not, Carl thinks he's hot and Carl is boo. Like I just, every, (laughs) Carl definitely has like a golden retriever, like avatar on his Twitter. Like Carl is all of those things. And just the thought that he got to be like hot shit when they're in the wilderness is just like, makes my skin crawl. And like, yeah. And the, 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 the fun thing about Carl, you mentioned names and the, um, you know, I think the names do have some meaning, like Carl means free man. Does it? Yeah. How do yeah. you know that? I went really 
I had a phase in life where I was really into names. Oh, I thought you like Googled um, all of the names from this no, book. No, no, and I no, was no, like, no, you no. take this podcast more seriously than I do. <laughs> no, I, I just know some of the like old, the, the really common names um, came from me looking at my own name. Okay. Um, okay. And lots of, you know, men's names are some variation of like, in some language, uh, man or free man. What does right? van or good, mean? Good man. That's uh, so it's short for um, my grandfather, great grandfather's name was Vander, which was okay. obviously short for Evander, which means like good man. Oh, okay. So you and Carl yeah. have similar names. Similar, yeah. Um, yeah but you seem language. like an actual good man, and he seems like not a good man. <laughs> well, his is free man. Well, oh, let's, be, let's man. be clear about that. Oh, okay, free, free man. And that's free why man. I think it's like, you know, it's like this you think that the archetypes that are going to come out ahead are maybe going to be like the meathead or like the you know you got to be really physically strong or smart right. carl is none of that none of it carl is just like pure will to power and right that's, he, and when he gets it he does nothing with it he just likes to be in power right like he just yes he does nothing with it and he except for try to starve glenn to death it's like what are you doing like the one person you're threatened by, but Glenn was like so useless anyways that it was like, why are you going after Glenn? Also, don't you know that you should be going after you guys, you should be leading the group and not trying to destroy the one person who knows everything. Like, it's just so, just so dumb and like mediocre and just like, ugh, Carl, get a grip. But that's the point, I guess. Right. It is. Yeah. It is. Like, I mean, you I think, the- yeah. Yeah, Carl's like the Carl. reason we're all in the situation in the first place. You know, like like if we're talking about B as Mother Earth and and Agnes as the children, it's like Carl is capitalism. You know, like he's the one who like doesn't get the game and is just fucking everything up, kind of thing. You know. But I also think it's funny that Carl is the one who needs the wilderness the most. Right. He is the one who it feels like would be the most unremarkable outside of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. That's such a good point. Yes. Like that in, in the world where there's lots of competition and lots of people, he is just in the middle of the barrel, but he can assert himself in a certain way in the wilderness to give himself purpose or meaning or so he thinks. And then of course, yeah. Val, who just is like, you know, we all know Val, who Val, Val is too. Yeah. But Val, Val changes. Yeah. The thing about Val is that I think Val's playing a much smarter game than Carl. Like she recognizes who and what Carl is to the group. And she's like into that because she understands what that means for her. Yeah. And that's why she's trying so hard to have a baby by Carl. Right. But then whose yeah. baby does she have? Is it Carl's or I is it someone else? I think it's Carl's. But oh, I thought it, Carl it, I couldn't it... have children. Uh, I just well, decided. That's, huh, that's probably so. <laughs> like, I just thought maybe that's, she yeah. ended up sleeping with someone else and got pregnant and then, like, carried it off as Carl's, but maybe Carl Carl's. couldn't have kids. That's probably right. Carl can't have kids. Now I see it. Yeah. I feel like Carl can't have kids in my mind because fuck Carl. Um, but, you know, whatever. I just, like, I, ugh, Carl. And then, and, like, you know, I think the game of survival that B and Agnes are playing and like the different ways that they're playing it. And like that B's doing it a much more psychological, like power dynamic game. And Agnes is just doing a straight like survival as leadership 
game was right. also really interesting to me. Like the different, like all the dynamics within the group, I was very interested in. And like Agnes's purity and sort of holier than thou attitude versus B's like kind of more ruthless, like you do what you need to do to get shit done. I, I appreciated that because I definitely see myself as more of a B than an Agnes. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I just feel like you play the game that's in front of you versus, like, trying to rewrite the rules. And I'm sure that, you know, in the long run, whatever Agnes was doing is probably better. But I felt like B was more compelling and more exciting to me. Like, that's the drama. I love drama. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the takeaway is that there is no better. Yeah. Is that it's just, you know, people... Everyone's there are no truly winning strategies in this game right and right. agnes is defined by having less of a tether mm. to to society she doesn't give a shit about society or like overall group dynamics right or you know justice she does not care right and that is what really marks her because a lot of the things people are bringing in their presuppositions about what's right or wrong are like totally alien to Agnes. Right. And that's because she oh, was ahead. old enough to, to remember that stuff. But was she, she? Like, wasn't she only like five? I mean, still you have a sense of, she, she remembers ice cream and you, you have some like sense of preschool right or wrong, at least at that point. Right. But I felt like she, I feel like she did have a very like, elementary understanding of like right and wrong but i don't think like she clearly did not have a mature understanding of like human interaction and like desire versus yeah. you know you know all that kind of stuff so i do feel like it makes sense because she was sort of raised you know in the wilderness and so she doesn't get the power dynamics in the same way yeah, and she's not seeing them as like political, right? In the way you know, yeah, I think B and Carl and Val and Glenn are playing like this really political game, mm -hmm. and Agnes is like side eyeing all of them because it's right. like you know what is this, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I what I love one of the things I really love that Diane Cook does is that she sort of sets up Agnes early on as like being like really naturey and good at like following the animals and being quiet and sneaky and then there's like a few different times throughout the book where B's like yeah stop following me and she's like how did she know I was there and it's like of course yeah. because she's nine you know or like she's 12 and she <laughs> thinks that she's like super stealth like I definitely remember times like thinking I was like hiding and like eavesdropping on my parents on the phone or whatever and my mom's like get off the phone like hang up the other line or whatever you know and I just love that because it's just a reminder that like even whatever Agnes is sort of presenting to us isn't the full picture of what's going on and she definitely is still a child and she definitely doesn't isn't she's not like this super wilderness warrior queen like she thinks that she is right and i yeah, really like that, that was i liked it because it felt like a like a more it felt like a a better way to do the unreliable narrator mm -hmm. thing because she's clearly an unreliable narrator but she's not lying and she's right. not deluded She's just presenting the world through a child's eye. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the things she just simply believes to be true, you know, are 
directly proven not to be true but it's not like they overturned like she's not it's not like she experienced him as like lying it's just like oh wow you know my mom knew where i was right right (laughs) like it's like she just has such a narrow view of what's going on and so it's true to her but it's so narrow and it is uh, it ends up being unreliable to us because we need to see we're seeing a bigger picture of like what's going on and how things are working Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back because I want to talk about some like symbolism, which I never do, but I think we have to. (laughs) Okay. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back from our break. We're going to talk about some sort of symbolism-y things. I don't even know if that's the right word. Well, first of all, I feel like this book is the kind of book that would be taught in school because I feel like an English teacher could really go ham on like all of the symbolism and like the allegory and the analogies and all. It just like, I don't know that I understood a lot of it, but I feel like it's rich with that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean... At the end, the the last quarter of the book is about going to a mountaintop. Yeah. Which uh yeah is uh pretty symbolic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. 
like in my mind. So, okay. You set up a thing that I hadn't thought about, which is like be as mother earth and then Agnes as humans. But in my mind, I also felt like the, the originalists, right. Are like the, the natives of whatever the land is sort of. And then the newcomers are like the Americans, right? Like they're just like peak American to me. They just felt like, so like they come in and they're like Converse sneakers and like they're jellies. Like they have like their (laughs) nail polish and like all this stuff. And I just was like, you guys are so unprepared for this conversation. Like when we talk about climate justice, like now it's like Americans are like, we can't even get on board that this is happening as a as a country, let alone like do anything about it. Whereas like in other countries, they're actively like trying to make changes in their culture and like do things. And in America, it's like depends on who's in charge of the government, whether we believe in science, you know, and like that to me was just like I, I just saw them and was like, I hate them because they're us. And now I feel bad about myself. <laughs> Yeah, and you can see as a, you know, there's more and more signs littered throughout the wilderness and in the book that, like, there's just this steady, overwhelming tide of people slowly moving into the wilderness. Yeah. Less of a wilderness. Yeah. And, you know, you you see where it's going. I mean, like, a third of the way through the book, there's, like, a flash forward and the narrator says there is no more wilderness state. So, you know where it's yeah. going, Yeah, but it's just, uh, I think it, it, it's interesting how ominously like those signs are seeded throughout the book. Right. It's like, Oh, you know, we see these, you have the newcomers and you have like the, the Mavericks, uh, the Mavericks. Yeah. The Mavericks are, are the, the real, and you know, obviously Americans usage of Maverick. Right. Is is part of this, right? Right. I can't hear that uh, word and not think of Sarah Palin. Yeah, Sarah Palin, John McCain. Yeah. Like that just those words are inextricably linked in my mind. Like those two people and that word just locked in. Yeah, Maverick is like a uh, synonym of pioneer. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's basically uh you have lots of pioneers who are kind of just like leeching off of the people, the the originalists who are there. And also the, the fun thing for me is like originalist feels like, a, I mean, number one, the people who were referred to as originalists in America are like the conservative people right. who believe the constitution right. is, was written and could, you know, cannot be changed. Right. So there's like a, both a, that's also American and kind of even biblical. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's clearly symbolic and meant to invoke this idea of like successions of people and their differing relationships to the land. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I mean, I think in another interpretation, like from what I just said, is also that if you think of all of the people as part of like one community, like, like you're saying, the originalists become a certain kind of, you know, like founding fathers type. Like we set the rules and this is our place and there's this ownership over this thing that is not theirs. And then the newcomer, you know, the newcomers then become the people who 
are trying to push back a little bit against that or like make changes. And then the Mavericks are just like, we're here to do our own shit and we don't want to follow anybody's rules. They're like the libertarians or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like fuck, fuck that right yeah it, each each generation is a little bit further away from the holy rule book right 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 and yeah. like the map the thing that's so of like of course about the mavericks is like the guy that ends up showing up who is a maverick or whatever it's like he only shows up because he needs something from them you know he needs and wants like and is there to steal and like you know it's that same sort of entitlement it, that's Carl if Carl hadn't gotten picked to be an originalist, right? Like if Carl See, couldn't have gotten in on his own, that's what Carl would have done. That was, you know, I felt like it was the most heavy-handed symbolism. Adam. Yeah. Oh, uh, Adam, <laughs> of course, that was his name. Adam and his behavior was just like so openly, uh, you know, tipping the hand of what the symbol was. He goes and sleeps in their bed. Right. And, you know, just is like appropriative of everything they have and own uh, is totally just doesn't care about any of their customs or rules. Mm. Um, yeah, I think like the, the what really got me was him sleeping in their bed while they were in it. Right. Him sleeping in Deb's bed. And it's like, oh, but yeah, that's me. Um, right. And then he makes off with like their most prized possession. Which is a and cast iron. <laughs> <laughs> even though he cannot even really like carry it or even benefit from it right the way they can he carries it off just because it's valuable right right yeah and yeah. He's, of course he's adam right <laughs> and then yeah. okay and then the last like sort of group of people that i feel like is part of this sort of new wilderness ecosystem is the rangers led by the the person that we're supposed to love bob but bob bob yeah. really Bob really hurt Don't me. Love Bob, Bob Don't hurt love me Bob. deeply. First of all, B stealing all the fucking lollipops, you snake. Okay, B, that's not cool. Those were for your daughter. She wanted candy. She didn't even know she wanted candy because she never even had it, which I thought was really sneaky. Um, but the Rangers and the symbolism, there's like a few ways to look at them, but mostly they're just like the government, right? Like they're yeah. That's what I, I mean, that was pretty obvious because they work for whatever administration, I think is what they call that, whichever, you know, new administration. Um, but, you know, again, it's like the police, you know, again, it's like these people who are no different, no better, no smarter, just connected or whatever. And that's how they get their job as a ranger. There's, you know, it's not as, you know, Carl was what? one sentence away from being able to be one if he had said that he wanted to enforce the rules he would have been a ranger like he's no different than these people they just have power and benefit which is sort of you know like how i view the police like the police are are trained to be terrible and they but they're really if they hadn't been police officers they could have been something else you know like i i don't know if i'm saying this right but i my point being is like the institution of policing is what is so corrupt and terrible and it attracts certain people. But anyone like Van, if you wanted to be a police officer, you could be a police officer, but you'd have to, I guess, want yeah. to be a police officer. Sort it's of my not point. a like it's not a position that requires a whole lot of existing right. skill. Yeah. Right. Like you learn yeah. the job when you get there and you and anyone conceivably can do the job. You just have to be willing to buy into the job. And 
unfortunately the job means being a fucking dick you know <laughs> like the job means forcing people to wander all over the wilderness for months on end and then telling them oh sorry you're in trouble now you have to go somewhere else like but that doesn't anyone can do that and it just See, that's why know. i thought if, if we're really you know reaching into the allegory bag here okay go i reach. think the rangers are angels interesting like old testament angels and i think a lot oh, of the math are like evil because old testament angels are like mean and like well they're like <laughs> capricious they just like, there's a plan and you know old testament god does not care about whether you right. n- whether you understand the plan right. whether it makes sense to you mm. um and it really like feels to me a lot of like uh, around exodus Ooh. a lot of the plan is like you know you get you get a map the map may or may not make sense to you you know you you got to do a long walk to whatever lower middle post Right. And it it it's terrible. It's shitty. People may not even be there when you get there. Right. Um, and the angel, to the 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 reason why it felt like angels to me is because they don't really have any. They just sort of appear. That's true. They appear out of the wilderness, right? Right. And they 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 are different. You know, they have different personalities, but no real backstories. And they are just there to be representatives of some higher administration capital right. a right um that appears to change several times yes or at least change its mind several times over the course of the story but still is like this indecipherable impossibly far off thing that is you know dictating the lives of these people in the wilderness by whim it appears so that, mm. that seems like it, it feels like they are angels yeah i mean that's really good that's really good. I do not have any biblical knowledge myself. And so <laughs> I would definitely totally miss that. But I feel like, you know, what little I've seen of the Prince of Egypt film, I, you know, I know, I know I'm a little Old Testament here and there. I did go to Catholic school, but, you know, I didn't really go to Catholic school. <laughs> I didn't really do much Catholic stuff. But um, I do see because like, you know, they, I guess people always talk about in the Old Testament that that God is like a pretty vicious can be a pretty vicious god a pretty um yeah he's a god of uh of vengeance yes vengeful that's right that's Mm -hmm. right that's an interesting take so then the administration then is in that analogy is god yes the administration is god and then the originalists are sort of moses and the jews wandering for 40 years in the desert yep but there's no there's no uh end of the 40 years in the same there's way no end. the end so, is a yeah, little different it, yeah there's no this is not there is no promised land yeah you there's know, no promise obviously land. like private lands the private are land. the allegory for the promised land there's no promised land here did you think that the private lands were real as you were reading or did you think it was made up see i this is one thing i'm going to take credit for i okay. knew that the wilderness was going to become the private land mm. and that's actually when i started kind of building the biblical or the you know old testament allegory in my head because like the land they were on was what was actually promised i see oh that's so good okay but did you but so you knew then that that meant that the private lands didn't already exist yeah that that and everybody you know i i knew that it didn't didn't exist it felt to me like um there was some confusion in the middle where 
people when when they first start seeing some of the newcomers and, and you know new people are in there who are like yeah the private lands definitely exist and they never explain exactly what they are mm. and i actually think that a lot of the people coming in are coming in on the assumption that they don't believe the wilderness and private lands to be different places oh interesting yeah in my mind the private lands was like a really great resort like la quinta where they filmed the bachelorette you know like somewhere <laughs> really nice like lots of little casitas or something that's what it was in my mind so in my mind it was different than the wilderness because again for me the wilderness is not a promised land or a private land the wilderness is one of my many nightmares um so in my mind i created you know a lovely place with a pool and a spa um but I also knew that the private lands were not real. Like I never bought into the private lands thing. It just felt like like the kind of fairy tale, you know, that that people have and say. Um, okay, I know you said that you had some kind of like what happened at the end, and I definitely want to talk about sort of the unraveling of the whole thing, which I think probably starts with Glenn's death. Right. Yes. Like that that's like the beginning of the unraveling. So do we think that Glenn's death was an accident or do we think that Carl did something to him when they went away together to do whatever the fuck they did? I think it was a mutually understood, not accident. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I, agree. I think, I think Glenn wanted out. I think Glenn, I think that, I think it was slightly more malicious than that. I think that Carl did something to Glenn and then Glenn realized that he was never going to have the peace to just be in the wilderness and just be like dead weight for everybody. And so he was like, I just need to die. So like, I think that Carl pushed it, but I don't think that Carl, I don't think that Glenn fought it whatever it okay. was that's sort of in my mind that makes sense i mean I, I, to the that would make sense to me with their character yeah i mean and, I, just knew when they, I knew when they went off like yes it was Glenn, over Glenn was a dead man yeah, it's like, Glenn, like what the fuck are you doing like i guess to your point glenn agreeing to go was glenn being like yeah i'm cool with dying now yeah and i think everybody knew Except Agnes. Except Agnes. Well, even Agnes knew. She was like, or no, or was it B who was like, don't B go, don't go. Who, yeah. 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 B, B was knew. like, don't go. I mean, yes. Definitely. I think in a lot of ways, B is the reader also. Like, because yeah. we understand the politics. Like, we under we have a greater understanding than Agnes. So Agnes is, again, like we said, unreliable to us. But B is a much more, you know, is a better avatar for the reader, I think, in most cases. Okay. So Glenn dies. We start to have the unraveling. Do we think that they kept the wilderness open in out of respect to Glenn? And so when they found out that Glenn died or whatever, then then they were like, great, we can close it? Or do you think that those things were unrelated. I had not thought about them keeping open for Glenn until you just mentioned it. Okay, um, so of course not. he was the, the, he was the progenitor of the experiment. So maybe, um, but yeah, I think by the time he died, it was just, it was out of hand already. Yeah. And they, they, shortly after that, shortly after that, they peel back and say, you know, the wilderness is basically gone anyways. Right. 
Yeah, there's just been so many people already trampling it um, that it's it's you know a park. I mean, it's also like that metaphor, or whatever. It's barely a metaphor. It's pretty straightforward. But it's like humans can't do anything. Like humans can't just be part of any ecosystem. Like we just have to ruin everything as quickly as possible. <laughs> I don't know. I just the, that's like a, one of the questions I have about the book, which is like, can humans be in like we used to be like Native American folks were out or, or native people in all parts of the world were out just living off the land in a in a way that they were part of the ecosystem. But is that just not that's just never going to be possible again? Is what this book is saying. See, I, I guess I come at at this question of you know what is wilderness sure. from a bit of a different angle. So it's it's uh that's one one place where I'm not sure the book was convincing to me. Okay, or maybe it was. You know, okay, but. I think even you look at like hunter gatherer societies, mm-hmm. uh, people have always changed the environment mm-hmm. in, in ways that moved away from pure wilderness, or whatever you want to call it. Sure. And I don't know if pure wilderness exists really ever because right. all animals, including people, exert their will in the environment and change right. it and leave their waste. It just so happens that people have, and sometimes, you know, plastic waste. Um, we are there is no you know no matter how advanced and putting plastic and glass and steel bubbles we we get the air inside those bubbles are still the environment right and so like we're always part of the environment sure the question of the question for me is you know how do we steward that in a way that uh protects biodiversity that makes it you know that that preserves resources of future generations i'm not totally interested in the idea of pure wilderness because i don't think it exists sure yeah sure. and so that is i mean that is kind of the point of the end of this piece which is like people people in having an environment are always going to exert their will in the environment there's right. just no way around it right um you know the, if, if you consider a wilderness to be a place without people um then by definition a place with people will cease to be wilderness. Sure. I guess my question then for you is sort of like to your point is if every creature or living thing in any environment is sort of, you know, shapes, definitely shapes the environment. Why can't the humans just live in balance with the other things, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like when I used to go on outdoor ed trips as kids, I used to talk about how like bears eat berries and then the berry seeds like grow and whatever. I don't know, like from their stool and all this stuff. So like, why can't, why can't the humans be like that? Like, or can they? Well, a lot of it, a lot of that's bullshit. Okay, great. great, I'm, great. I'm, yeah, a lot of that's Thank bullshit. You. And <laughs> as you can tell, I'm super science minded. <laughs> <laughs> Animals, all living creatures exploit uh, their environment to the degree, to the degree that, that they can. Right. And so, um, you know, I think uh, it used to be way, like, way more bison in America than, like, we could actually support as a landmass. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it's not, there was no, like, circle of life shit going on. It was just, like, uh, climatic changes and stuff cut down all the trees and white explorers cut down all the trees and there was a bison explosion right because bison will will there will be as many bison as you know can eat right and that's basically the, the equation that governs every single living creature on earth is 
there will be as many as uh, can eat, as can eat comfortably. Right. And humanity is no different. The only right. real difference is we have the intellectual means to dramatically increase the amount that we can eat. Right. And so it, the where 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 what's important to me though is that we also have the intellectual means to decide that we would like to uh create an earth even if it is not wilderness where you know as many creatures can live as possible mm. where we are we can for the first time really uh create a system where we uh don't exploit to the fullest of our abilities right the earth but to your point then that would mean like really going against our nature if you will well i don't know our i mean human i think nature well I think all there animals have been, some are... human groups have already made this decision they have yeah and have in history and have decided that that they wanted to become stewards of of their uh of the land where they live that they wanted to prioritize uh future generations of people Mm-hmm. Even even if they do not care about animals per se, right, right, right. They want to live in a way that 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 preserve things for their their descendants, right. And, but but that still is like that's an active choice against instinct, is sort of what I'm saying. Like yes, to do yeah. that, humans would have to go against our our animal or whatever instincts, our human instincts to exploit and to create more and more until we can no longer eat. Like to to live in balance or to be stewards of our environments or anything like that is an active choice. It's not something that is just going to happen. It's sort of what I'm it's saying, getting choice, at. but I'd like to frame it as people prioritizing one set of instincts over another. Yes. So we do have a set of instincts to dominate, create dominion, mm. to destroy, mm-hmm. but we also have a set of instincts that binds us to our kin and our future kin. Mm. And that actually binds us to nature and, and says that, you know, people like sunsets, mm-hmm. people like watching the waves, people like swimming in, in pristine waters. You know, those are instinctual things. Yes. And for me, it means prioritizing the instincts, certain instincts over others. Okay. I lo- I yeah. really like that. Okay. Back to the, back to the ending. We have to talk about the ending because I know everyone yes. at home is also like, what the fuck happened? Okay. So what was your big question with the unraveling? Like what, what were you hung up on? Number one, what happens to be? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not important, but I'm still, I want to know what happens to be. Um, and I guess it just feels like there's so much happening like the last 20, 30 pages. Mm-hmm. And it, like it accelerates so quickly that I, I I am still trying to I'm reeling a little bit. So, uh, you know, over the course of those pages, Agnes becomes a surrogate mother, an adoptive mother rather. Yeah. Um, for Fern, um, and I like forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and like the it's about her becoming a mother, but it's just so quick. I'm like, well, you know, what is what does Agnes actually think about this? What does Fern think about this? Right. What is, what are their motivations? And I don't believe I understand them. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. I, you're right. I have no idea. I like the thing. I feel like my mind sort of shut down at the end 
because I barely even remember Fern. Fern spoke Spanish, maybe. Yeah, Fern spoke Spanish. And she like found her. And then like everybody ended up having kids, right? Like everybody ended up adopting like children when they would like, and they were whistling and like meeting up and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know what happened to everybody. I wrote down like what happened to the people who stayed like, Carl and them who tried to make the deal and then what happened to B and then what happened to Jake and all the runners and I, I don't know I sort of feel like everyone just got killed by the Rangers that was like my the way that I did it but I don't know that that's true it just feels like I, I definitely feel like the people who stayed got killed I think that the Rangers were like or at least like beat up or like imprisoned or something I think something really bleak happened to those people I think they I mean they at some point it pulls back and we get an omniscient narrator and it's like they did deal roughly with some people more roughly than they did with agnes right and i you know, I do believe some people i i, I definitely believe carl is dead carl's dead um, bye carl dead. get a life carl's dead um <laughs> but like i also think that's they probably split up the different resettlement um places so right they wouldn't be able to develop the same communities in them. Right. But also it's just like the last, the last bit is just so intentionally chaotic. Right. That Yeah. It's hard to have any takeaways from it. Yeah. It, I do feel like the ending sort of ended up being like too many endings. And so there wasn't really an ending. And I think that I do think that it sort of like did the book overall a disservice because I felt like she was building towards something and I felt like she had a lot of ideas of how it could end. And then it ended up having all of those endings instead of sort of like making a choice and and picking one. And so the ending sort of in my mind feels chaotic, like you said, or like it doesn't, like I'm not really clear at all what happened. Um, and I, and I, I also wonder what happened to the rest of humanity that wasn't in the wilderness like where did those people go are they still in the city is the city even worse like were the resettlement camps in the city or were they outside the city like uh, yeah, it's just like a lot of questions and I feel like for a book that was long and detailed it got really unspecific and I think yeah. that's where the chaos came from for me that's where it was for me you know it was so incredibly detailed up until that point yeah. that I lost a lot, you know, the, the fidelity. You lose a lot of fidelity right yeah. there. And it was just, yeah. So I don't know. I guess in my mind, B, in my mind, B is dead also. I think I, B is alive. Oh, you do? Do you think she's really running around in the wilderness like those people who said that they saw her or whatever? Actually, I do. Okay. So you think she yeah. got to stay in the wilderness alone? Yeah, she's like, like the lone. Even if she is dead, there's something about her becoming like the spirit of. Okay. Yeah, um, but I think she's alive and like the last person in the wilderness, the and last then, person who believes it's a wilderness. Right, and then Jake and all the other runners, like I think it was Val ran, I think Deb ran. Those people, you think that they got captured and are in different resettlement camps, spread out. Yes. Okay. I I could I could go with that, and then the people who stayed, some of them are in resettlement camps, and some of them are dead, like Carl. Yeah, and it's just I mean I guess that's the final bit of like America allegory is like they put all the people who live there in weird camps while they built houses for everybody else there, right? right. Which is 
very i mean I, maybe that's why it's so weird to me because it's you know just dumb a right. dumb thing to do but right. it is mirroring real dumb things that, that we do in america done. yeah yeah um, one of the things you mentioned was the foreshadowing of the ending of the wilderness not being there anymore. And I took that foreshadowing. I did not see that that was going to become the promised lands. I took that to just mean that the humans ended up all coming and just overrunning it. Like I just thought it was going to be like, or that the administration out of some type of vengeance just like burned the whole shit down and was like, we can't have nice things or we need this space for, to create more city or something like that. Like my, my thinking was a more um like a repercussion to bad behavior by the people in the wilderness and less of a we need these resources for the rich people which i should have probably thought of because that's the obvious answer <laughs> but i had some like more convoluted i think roundabout way of getting to an ending with no wilderness but if yeah if you believe the private land idea it's just you know enclosure of space for rich right. folks right for me like it was like light obvious bulb. yeah it's That's when it. you say it it's so obvious to me i like did you know like there's like the a to b route and i did like a to z to q to l to p to b and i was like <laughs> okay i'm here um okay we have to wrap up because it's basically time but the only okay first two questions one is do you think this would be a good movie or tv show Oh, I think it'd be a great. I do too. Probably a TV show. I think it'd be um, great. Yeah, it, it feels it's, it feels a little ambiguous to be a movie to me, but like a, a TV show would be a good one because then you know you you could basically string along people like you do The Walking Dead. Yeah, you never have to end until you want to end. Right. It's kind of like Lost, but without the supernatural elements, maybe. Right. Well, it's kind of I, I could see a little bit of supernatural at least. Yeah. And, and what people believe but yeah you know it, it's to me it's it's formulaic in the way that like a lost or a walking dead is yeah oh yeah. i have i have two more questions still i lied i i do really briefly want to talk about what did you imagine that the people looked like like racially did you feel like it was a diverse group did that ever cross your mind did you envision white people did you envision black people like do you have any did you have any real sense of that at all? See, that's one one place where I just don't know. I mean, I know she in some places describes people's skin color, but like the descriptions are just so opaque to me. I have yeah, they don't create any any mental image in my mind of what like some people's skin is like some type of bark, and some people's like wet right. sand. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that meant nothing to me. Yeah, <laughs> to be I just in my mind they were all white. In my mind, they were mostly white, too. But I couldn't tell if she was trying to do that thing that's like, in the future, there's been so much miscegenation that we're all the same. And, like, there is no race. Like, I couldn't tell if that's what she was trying to get at. I just want people to describe people's yes. skin color using real colors. Yeah. For me, there's lots of different types of wet sand. <laughs> I don't yes. really get a... I cannot place what a person looks like based on wet sand. Right, um, right. Yeah, maybe the point was that I wasn't important, I guess, but... It's important to me. Like, uh, it's it's important to me to know what kind of people are getting picked to go to the wilderness, you know? like Yeah, especially for, like, apocalyptic stories. I have this joke that, you know, Black people don't exist in the future. Right. Um, because in so many different, like, post-apocalyptic, especially post-apocalyptic stories... 
that have a message yeah. or dystopian stories that have a message, they so often like uh, it, there just seems to be some common cataclysm in every single post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic or dystopian story where all the black people just die at some point. Yeah. And that's the apocalypse to me. Right. Yeah. Right. And there are just no black people in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think but I don't know if that's true of this book because I can't tell. It seems like I feel like there was one person, one of the the twins. I feel like one of the twins was very dark skinned, and one of the twins was very light skinned. I feel like she said something like and that, that. Was the joke? That was a gag. Yeah, yeah. That was the joke. So there's like one possibly black person or like dark brown person who was a joke, um, which of course is always how it is. But I do feel like there was at least <laughs> one possible black person in this book. Um, okay, the last thing that we always end on is just the title of the book and the cover. So the title is The New Wilderness, and then the cover uh, is blue and has pink birds, maybe like fighting in the air type vibe. Um, what did you think of, what do you think of those things? I, you know, number one, I thought it was, it's a good signal of what the book is, for one, which is not always a case of book covers. Yes. Um, it's green and it's, you know, that's the usual symbol for environment. Right. Um, originally it looked to me like there were, there was a reflection of one bird, but now it's clear that there's two birds that are fighting for something. And I guess that's evocative of what the book is about, right? Yeah, I guess. For me, First of all, I see the color of the background as not green, but more blue in my like my uh. eye color scope. So for me, I actually don't think the cover is very clear about what the book is about. Like, I think it's interesting that you feel like it is because to me, I was like, I don't know. Like, sure, there's things in nature on the book, but like it didn't. I don't know. I think like in my mind, when I think of the book, I think of a lot of brown and green. Um, so the blue mm. and the pink didn't really match for me. Um, of like how I experienced, like the colors I was thinking of when I was reading the book were very brown and green. And the birds also like, I don't remember there being that many birds even in the book. <laughs> like I was sort of there like, were, there were like no birds. There was, it was like geese. One yeah. Day. And I feel like, wasn't yeah. there, wasn't there something like maybe circling up above at one point or something? I don't know. Um, I think the cover is beautiful though. Like as a piece of art, I think it's really gorgeous as a cover for this particular book. I, it didn't really connect to me. And then we talked a little bit about the title, sort of like the new wilderness, um, and wandering in the wilderness and all of that. So like, I think the title is good. And I think that the title, I like that the title is, is very straightforward. Like I think it, and I think it's, interesting and it made me want to read the book like when I saw the title I was like oh I'm interested in this book so overall I think it's good but the type the cover isn't my favorite my co the cover I think is beautiful but it's not my favorite for the book if you will yeah the cover I mean I think I think the title is great because it is a uh, it, it the old wilderness again you know extending the bible talk a little bit you know um let's see I think the God told Aaron to go into the wilderness mm. um, to see Moses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's clearly, you know, that's the old wilderness. That's the old idea of it. And this, the endeavor here is to, you know, talk about a new version of that to me. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought in all this biblical stuff because I would have, I would have missed so much of it. I'm so, so glad you know your Bible. Sorry, this is, this is the, this is the, you know, several summers of Bible camp, Van. 
I love um, it. I so. like truly I would have missed so much of the book if not for having you be here today to discuss it in this way because I don't know I don't think about the Bible like I didn't go to Bible camp obviously. <laughs> um but I I think it adds like a layer and I'm sure Diane Cook was thinking about that stuff too obviously. I don't think you titled I guess a book anything to do with wilderness, a fiction book unless you're thinking I guess of the wandering in the wilderness i think that's a pretty strong choice yeah it, it, it was it's pretty clear to me you know I, i'm I, I know my christian allegory okay. um and so i think it's at least abrahamic yeah allegory yeah <laughs> i love it well van this was so great thank you so much for being here well thank you for having me and everyone else we will see you in the stacks thank you so much to van for being our guest Okay, here it is, your announcement for the Stacks Book Club pick for March. We'll be reading Everybody Looking by Candice Elo. It's a YA novel in verse. We're mixing things up around here. So be sure to tune in next Wednesday to find out who our guest will be. Please make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, take a moment to leave us a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Sebastian Alcala is our sound editor and producer. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Mm-hmm.